I hope that the things we have to say will encourage us to greater love and good works. Whenever I try to think of one of our uh, things to accomplish during a short gospel meeting, I remember Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, where it says that when we gather together, we're to encourage one another to love and good works. In other words, there's supposed to be some effect that transfers from the pulpit into the lives of everyone. And so I hope that what we have to say tonight is appropriate and will in some way enhance our spiritual growth or change our lives in a positive way. So that's what we're going to try to accomplish tonight and honor God in all things, if you will. I'm going to talk about microwave religion. And uh, somebody, you know, s said one time when I put this up that I was going to talk on microwave religion. They said, well, Glenn, you know, we've heard you speak and it used to be you know, stovetop religion, and we're glad it went to microwave. Maybe it'll be a little bit shorter, take a shorter time. You know, maybe we can do it in three minutes instead of 40 or whatever. No, wrong. That's not <laughs> correct. I hope what we have to say is tonight showing that sometimes what we want, we want it simple, quick. We want to take a pill. We want a quick fix. We live in an age of instant gratification. And spiritual maturity doesn't come with a pill. It doesn't just come with reading the Bible at 30 minutes a day. It comes with some effort. It comes with some focus. It comes with some dedication. And I want to talk about the difference between sometimes making it too simple, and yet at the same time, it's very simple. It's simple, but yet it's difficult. You know, the, someone said the Word of God is kind of like a deep river. You can swim across the surface or dive, and if you dive, you'll go really deep. And I think that's what Christianity is too. There are some who just like to stay on the surface, and there's others that really enjoy digging into it and really getting some more meaning out of it in their lives. And so I hope tonight we can do that as well. And so tonight I want to talk a little bit about microwave religion. We have many conveniences in our world, computers, smartphones, High-speed internet and emails and textings and GPS and all kinds of stuff. And uh, I'd hate to see what it would be like without that. I don't know about you, but the invention of a GPS in my phone has changed my life. <laughs> and uh, I hope it's, it's changed yours for the good. It, it is something that needs to be uh, appreciated. And we're thankful for all of these things. But, you know, there's nothing inherently evil about conveniences. And yet, living in this world, we can develop some really bad habits because of our inconveniences. As, as one person used to say, at least my husband used to get exercise when he had to go up and physically change the channel. You know, at least they got some exercise then. But now with remote control, he doesn't even have to do that. You know, well, conveniences are nice, but yet sometimes... We want things so simple and so convenient, we don't want to do it ourselves at all. We don't want to fix. We don't want to, you know, as, as one person said about why marriages don't last as long today. And I saw this poster once with an older couple on, on it. It says, back in my day when we got married, if something broke, we tried to fix it, not throw it away. And I think that's, that says something about our, our day and age we live in. Instead of working on it, we tend to just throw it away and get something new or different. Well, whenever it comes to Christianity, sometimes we have to look past what's convenient 
And maybe we have to just recognize we need to dig a little bit deeper. There's a poem I read that I thought was very helpful. It says, give me $3 worth of Jesus. <laughs> and I thought this little poem, if you get home, you could look up the whole thing. I'm just going to allude to it. This one says, I don't know if I, if I can come to prayer or I don't know if I can come to worship. Then Jesus will enter us if he'll just fill us for free. Praise God for salvation. Uh, I, want, I don't want to live 24-7. Uh, I just want... I just want a little bit of Jesus. Just give me $3 worth of Jesus and I'll be fine. Well, that's about all we do. We get about, you know, just give me a little bit and then let me go on my way. I've got a life to lead. I can't give my whole self to Jesus. Just give me three bucks worth. Well, you know, we want the easy button whenever it comes to life. Let's just push the button and have everything just given to us. Let's just give it a little try, if you will. Well, you can't just give it a little try. To be holy and to become righteous and to become mature in Christ Jesus, you have to make a commitment. You have to give it all. You have to give it some time. You have to carve out some space in your life. You have to make a choice about priorities. There must be choices about priorities. How many years have we made commitments to read the Bible through in that year and made it to about now, <laughs> made it to about February and Deuteronomy and Numbers just sucked the lice out of us and we stopped. Well, that's, that's unfortunate that we can't make a commitment that goes for a whole year. What about Christianity? Give it a life. You know, that's what I'm talking about. The reason why we don't make it in reading the Bible through in a year is we don't carve out the time and demand that only something spiritual go into that time. It's either in the morning, at noon, or in the evening, but we need to carve it out and dedicate it to the Lord. We need to make a commitment to use that time for specific things and get it done. And that's how spiritual change happens in our life. If we can do it for five to 15 minutes, you can read the Bible through in a year, but we, you know, how come we're unsuccessful at doing that? Well, it's because we just simply don't, are too busy. Well, that's what Satan has used. Satan has used it to make it so that we have to have it convenient. We have to take a pill. We have to be able to do it quickly, get it over with, and then get back to our life. Well, some people just are selling this. They recognize everybody's inclination to this. And on one website, there was a ABC's How to Be Saved. Just ABC. And just remember ABC and you get it done. Number one, admit and fess up that you messed up. Two, believe in somebody who loves you. Three, confess, give Christ a shout out for handling business of your redemption. And they say, you do this and you're saved. Well, that sounds really good, doesn't it? Just ABC, admit it, believe, confess, and you're done. Is that all there is to Christianity? I'm sorry, but whenever I read the Bible, it's quite a bit more than that. It takes a little bit more than just the ABCs. It's not that simple. It's a little bit more complex than that. And then there's something that blasphemous that comes along every once in a while. This is a little towelette that you can zip open. And it's been said that this is a baptism in a packet. You wipe away your sins in a towelette. And just wipe again as needed and stuff like that. This is ridiculous. How can this be a substitute for baptism? I believe it is blasphemous. But truth is contrary to human wisdom. It's not just that simple. Sometimes the way of salvation is straight and narrow. And whenever we're talking about straight and narrow, we're talking about sometimes it takes some commitment to be successful. Like the phrase straight and narrow comes almost as a nautical term. 
talking about ships going through some rocks that are close together. And you have to point that boat and get it through there. And you have to keep from being bashed against the sides. And you have to make it through that. Well, that's the way it is with us as well. Sometimes it takes a great deal of effort and skill to be successful at the Christian life. But most of all, it takes attention. It takes commitment. It takes us knowing that this is the way that we've got to go through here. And that there's smoother sailing after we've gone through the straight and narrow. This requires complete submission. You know, back when the, the uh, restoration movement was starting in America, there's a, a Walter Scott used to go around and, and call it five finger salvation. He says, you got to hear the word of God, you got to believe it, you got to repent, you got to confess, and you have to be baptized. Now, I'm not putting this down. I believe this is a good way to memorize the plan of salvation. But some people think that is all there is to Christianity as well. No, this is how you begin your relationship with God. But this is how you begin. This is how you start out. This is only the beginning. This isn't the entire gospel. This isn't the fruition of all that the Bible has to say about Christianity. It's more than just that simple formula, if you will. Yes, these are necessary, and that's a good way to remember how to get into the kingdom. It's a good way to remember what it takes to be born again, how to be, come into a covenant relationship with God. But it's far more than that. It's more than that. Sometimes we talk about these steps and we say it results in conversion, and other people say, well, you know what? You're treating it like a checklist. Have you ever heard that? I have, about up to here. They said, well, we need more than just a checklist. I didn't check all those things off and go, now I'm done. As if being born is somehow makes us mature Christians. Can't we understand that whenever we're a child, that being born isn't the end subject of life? It isn't the end result of everything that Christ died for? He died, and that's the beginning. But that's the start. We're babes in Christ. And then the growing begins. Then it takes a little bit more complex. That's not the end result of everything. Then we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Our Lord. Walter Scott had a good idea whenever he used to tell children to go home and tell their mom and dad this. But he wanted them to come back so that they could learn more. And that's what we need to do as well. Well, let's start a little bit about microwave religion. A lot of times, and this is something that's very important today, there's a gospel being preached that you can have forgiveness without repentance. There's a lot of people just say, accept Jesus, and you say, well, where's repentance in that? Well, what's repentance? They don't even understand the word. The word isn't a word you use every day. It's about time you repent. They go, I heard that word in church, but I don't know what that means. Well, have you heard the word change? Change direction? That's what that word means. The word repentance means to turn around, to go in another direction, not just stop. Repentance is more than just stopping. Repentance is not a stop sign. It's a U-turn sign. It's a you go in a different direction than the one you've been going in. So that it's more than a stop sign. I want you to know, just because you've stopped doing a lot of things doesn't make you a mature Christian. You say, well, I don't sin, I don't lie, I don't cheat, I don't steal anymore. I must be a Christian by default. Well, there's a lot of people that don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, but it, they're not Christians. And that's what we're talking about here. They want remission. They want forgiveness without repentance. 
The Bible tells us unless we repent, we will perish, Luke 13, 3. We will likewise perish like others. We find in Acts 17, 30, Jesus Christ came and commanded the entire world to repent. The times of ignorance got overlooked, but is now commanding all men, mankind, all mankind everywhere to repent. Well, if that's what Jesus came for, what does it mean? It really means we stop doing fleshly, sinful things, and we start doing spiritually holy things, obedient things. It's our sin that caused Jesus to come here and die so that we won't get the consequences or the wages of sin. God wants us to stop sinning, but start obeying. And that's repentance. Repentance is more than just saying uh, uh, that we're aligned with Christ. They want this, though, because that's simpler. Repentance is for, and, and whenever we obey the gospel, it comes to us before remission of sins, for forgiveness of sins. Of all of the steps in, in the plan of salvation, you would think, by the amount of topics that we sometimes generate, that the big issue is baptism. In reality, baptism is not that hard to understand. We can study it and understand it and get a hold and get a grasp on what God means whenever he says he wants us to be immersed in water or washed in water. And we can understand that baptism is a burial, and like Jesus' burial in Acts the 6th chapter. We can begin to understand that. The problem with Christianity isn't that baptism is hard. It's repentance is hard. Repentance is the change of allegiance, the change of direction that goes on in the heart of a sinner where he decides, I am no longer going to sin. I'm going to deal with my desire to sin. I'm going to put it to death every day. You see, that's work to put to death the flesh every day. But that's the working part of Christianity. Repentance is this commitment to putting to death the flesh and walking after the Spirit, that is walking in accordance with spiritual things, every day, every moment, we're going to stop lying, we're going to start speaking the truth, we're going to stop lusting, and we're going to start being faithful with our eyes, we're going to start being faithful, we're going to start being obedient to God. That's the difficult part of Christianity. Baptism's pretty easy. Repentance is the tough one. And that's what we've got to get at in our life. Repentance is required of God. In fact, repentance is essential to salvation. It needs to have more of an emphasis than what we've given it because there's where the change of heart, the change of loyalty lies. The commitment to obey God. If somebody would repent, they wouldn't have a problem with baptism because repentance gets you committed to obeying the Lord. And all you have to do is say, Lord, if that's what you want, we're going to do it. So God commands all men everywhere to repent. It's the hardest command. It requires a change of mind resulting in a change of behavior. Jesus continually taught this. The, the apostles, the doctrine of the early church, that is what people found offensive was the call to repent of their life. People want Jesus as Savior but not as Lord. Now I want you to think about that for just a minute. People want Jesus as Savior, but you can't have him as Savior unless you take him as Lord, too. You've got to have him for both. You can't have one or the other. You can't pick which Jesus you want. If you want him as Savior, you've got to take him as Lord. This Jesus, whom you've been crucified, has been made Lord. And what's a Lord mean? 
What does the word Lord mean? Suggest. What does it imply? It means that now God calls the shots. He's the one that sets the priorities. He was the one who gives what we choose to do. He, he's the one that tells us what it takes to please God and what it takes to please Satan and say, don't do that, do do this. God makes that distinction between light and darkness. And he tells us to obey that which is true. Well, a lot of people today in this microwave religious age want righteousness without obedience. I want this to be given to me. I don't want to have to do it. You know, if there's any argument, and by the way, I love 1 John. 1 John is probably one of the most practical, challenging books in the New Testament. Because he says, those who practice righteousness are righteous, and those who don't aren't. I mean, he's just like, one who loves his brother is a child of God. One who doesn't, doesn't know God. You know, 1 John is about as plain as you can get. It's the most plain spoken book, uh, letter in the New Testament. I think he's pretty, it's refreshing to read it, you know, because he just says, Here, here's how you know if you know me. Turn to 1 John chapter 2, and I want you just to read how plain, I, you, you can't misunderstand 1 John. He just really, he just really gets at it. In 1 John, the second chapter, notice what he says here. <clears throat> Starting read verse 3. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. By this we know we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, verse 4, 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. The one who says, I've come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him. Wow. <laughs> you mean people in the Bible called each other liars? Yeah. John, a loving disciple, calls somebody a liar. He says, here's the person who lies, a person who says he knows God and hasn't repented yet. That's what he said. Somebody who has done. Here's a, a one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. How much more straightforward can you get? Walk. He's talking about living. He says, if you say you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to live like him. <laughs> I mean, I can't make it any more simple. He really challenges the readers and those who hear this word to think about their lives. If anybody says they know God, don't keep his commandments, they're a liar. Wow. That's a pretty profound statement, really. But he gets at the point of it. You've got to be obedient to the faith if you want to be pleasing to God. Jesus is the author of eternal salvation unto all who obey him. Now, guys, I don't know if you ever meet anybody who's a Calvinist or met anybody who claims to be a Calvinist. But, uh, you know, back in school, I got a chance to meet a lot of people who claimed all different kinds of religions. And there are two verses that really destroy Calvinism, and this is one of them. Titus 2.11 says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. That destroys predestination. It destroys the doctrine of election. It destroys this idea that God made a preference, uh, not based on merit, because God can't be a respecter of persons, they said. They said God's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to do and remain, and remain righteous. I challenge that. The Calvinist God is evil. And we'll come back and talk about that later if you want. But God just doesn't pick certain people to be saved and certain people to, law, to be lost indiscriminately. 
Because the Bible says God desires in Timothy, God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. If that statement is true, then the doctrine of predestination has to be wrong. If God truly desires it and he is sovereign, then universalism is the consequence of the Bible. But the Bible says some people are going to be lost. Is God not powerful enough to save them? Well, then, oh no, don't question the sovereignty of God. Here's the point, my friends. The grace of God that brings salvation has been offered or appeared to all men, Titus 2 and 11. But Hebrews 5 and 9 makes it very plain that Jesus is the author, the originator. He is the one who will save. He is the author of eternal salvation unto all. It doesn't stop there. All them that obey him. He will save anyone if they will obey him. And that's so important for us to get. He became the author of eternal salvation. and Everybody, anybody can be saved if they will obey the Lord. So, those who want righteousness without obedience, God doesn't offer that. He says, you want to be saved? Here's how you can know if you obey me or not. It's important. It's critical to understand. Claiming to know God without keeping his commandments makes us a liar. We know that. Well, let's go on. What about holiness without self-discipline? People want, once again, to be blasted with holiness. And boy, I'm glad, I hope you give me an extra portion so that I can just be really holy, super abundant holy, and I get spirits as if it's some kind of, of you know, aura or something. Holiness means basically separation from sin. It's the same word translated sanctification or saint oftentimes in the scriptures. In order for us to be successful in our Christian life, it takes more than just being holy once. We can be saved from our sins. We can go on our way rejoicing, knowing that we've been forgiven. But now the task of remaining or maintaining holiness is ours. We can, like a dog, go back to our vomit. We can, like a sow, go back to wallowing in the mire. That doesn't mean we weren't cleansed once. We were, but we went back. It's our responsibility to maintain holiness in our lives. We've got to do that. <clears throat> what do we do? We must deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live soberly, righteously, and godly. We can't just do anything we want to. I want to make a side point here before I go on. Now, we're not going to play church here for a few minutes, and I want you to really pay attention. I've had an opportunity to deal with a lot of addicts in my life, not just alcoholics. I'm talking about heroin abusers and meth crack addicts and also homosexuals. And guess what? I've dealt with a few very, very angry people. You know, some people said they were born that way. They go, I'm Irish. I'm just born angry. I was mad at my mom whenever I was born. You know, people, are, they, they, they don't look at this fact. And they, and they tend to excuse whatever thing they want to genetically believe that they may have. You know, I don't know if you're blaming your family for your anger. You know, or maybe like they used, they're doing nowadays, finding a genetic weakness for adultery. There's some men who are born with the adultery gene, they say. 
And there's some who are born with alcoholic predisposition. There's some who are born, they say, I'm born homosexual. My friends, that doesn't matter to me. I know some people very close to me that it doesn't matter what sin that you're born with a predisposition to. That doesn't matter. If you've got a problem with same-sex attraction, you can get out of it. If you've got a problem with adultery, you can leave it. How about fornication? Yeah, that too. How about thievery? Oh, so what if you get an adrenaline rush? Or whatever it might be. Covetousness. Name a sin. I don't care if you have a predisposition. And I don't care if your genes lean that way. The point is, as Jesus said, you've got to repent of your sins. You've got to work on that. Now, yes, for some people, it's easier to live life if they don't have a problem with covetousness or lying. There's some people who seem to be pathological liars. Well, I'm just born a liar. It's easier for me to tell a lie than it is to tell the truth. Well, guess what? You still got to stop lying. You got to stop lying. You got to stop stealing. You got to stop getting angry without any purpose. I don't care if you have a predisposition to same sex attraction. The Bible says repent. I don't care if you have a predisposition to covetousness and thievery. It doesn't matter. God tells us all we've got to practice self-control and holiness. We've got to practice some holiness. And yes, that takes self-discipline. It takes a commitment. Success. Paul said he had to discipline his body and bring it under subjection lest after he preached to others he himself should be cast away. Yes, it comes with commitment and growth, but it can happen. There is no sin in this world that God cannot help us get victory over. I deny that there's sin that is as strong or stronger than God. God promised us that if we sought first the kingdom of God, we can make it. We can be overcomers. We can succeed. I know ex-homosexuals in the church. I know ex-thieves in the church. In fact, it came as a real surprise to me one day. A person in my congregation said he was going to go away for a little while because he had made a deal with the DA. I said, over what? He said, oh, I robbed a bank. That was news. <laughs> I said, you robbed a bank? He said, yeah, but I've worked it out. I'm turning myself in. You just don't know what's in people's past sometimes. But I'll tell you what, guess what the church is full of? Ex-sinners. That's what it's about, guys. All of us have had sins in our lives. But all of us don't have to remain in our sin. If God sets us free, we are free indeed. We can be forgiven. We do not believe that any sin is stronger than God's power. Yes, there are temptations. He says, but there is no temptation taking you. There is no temptation taking you. What? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There's no temptation that can overtake you is the point. There's nothing that is stronger than God's ability to set you free, and you can practice holiness in your life. But such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond. There's the word. Oh, Glenn, but I can't help it. You can. I don't care what it is. If you're a homosexual tonight, 
you better not tell me, because I know some ex-homosexuals in the church, and they say, the repentance and allowing God to change your life works just as well with that as lying, as anger, as any other sin. The same thing works in all of those things. Holiness, practice holiness in our life. It comes with commitment and self-discipline. They want growth without diligence. To be the Christian, remain spiritual babies. Hebrews 5, he says, when for the time you ought to be, grown up, he says, I can't, but I have to address you as those who are babes in Christ. Long for the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. He said, I, I want to say some more things, but you're unable to digest it because you're still babies. Well, in order to be babies, we've got to make every effort. The Bible says, make every effort to add to our faith virtue and to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, page. We've got to add to ourselves those Christian virtues that are mentioned there. And that takes work. So I'm going to ask you straight out. You've heard this sermon a hundred times. But what are you working on? That's why we're not successful. We're not focused. What are you working on? Oh, I, Glenn, you know I'm a sinner. You know I need to grow and everything else. What are you working on? I don't know. There's nothing that's really bothering me lately. <laughs> really? That's the reason why we're not growing. Come on, guys. Christian growth ought to be something that's important to us. So, we can't have Christian growth without giving it some effort, some energy, some focus. The Bible says if we fail to do so, we're short-sighted, even as blindness has forgotten that we were once cleansed from our old sins, 2 Peter 1 and verse 9. If we fail to add these Christian virtues to our life, we need to add to our faith virtue, knowledge, and temperance. Diligence in gaining knowledge that we may walk worthy, may be worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Galatians 1. Does that describe your life? If it isn't, you're going to have to do something to get there. That's what I want to encourage you to do this week. I want you to not go away from this place unchanged. I want some change to be really important to us. You cannot continue to do what you've always done expecting to get a different result. That's insanity to always do what you've always done hoping for a different result. If we're wanting a better result, if we're going to grow in our knowledge, we're going to have to do something about it. That's what we need to do. That's right. Knowledge without study is impossible. You are as Bible literate as you ought to be. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We know that. And so we're going to have to do something. I need to be a diligent student of God's Word. I need to get more familiar with who wrote it, when it was written, where it was, who it was written to. I need to become familiar with the Word of God. It's a static Bible. It doesn't change. I didn't open it up the other day and find 3 Peter. It's still there. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not that difficult. If you study this your whole life, you're going to have it memorized. You're going to get it. It's going to make sense to you as you continue to layer upon layer those experiences of time and reading the Word of God. It comes, though, with that habit. It's the only source of saving faith and spiritual growth. My friends, if you're weak in your faith, faith comes by hearing and hear by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. So we've got to get back into the Word. It's the source of our strength and everything. Uh, yeah. A lot of times we get lukewarm and sometimes we grow weary and lose our fire. And what do you say to someone like that? Well, I'll tell you what I've been, been beginning to say to people. 
I'm beginning to say, and I want you to listen. If you don't go away with anything else, I want you to get this tonight. Listen up. If there is no God, then nothing matters. Then nothing matters. If there is no God, then nothing matters. Even as Ecclesiastes says, well, let's eat, drink, tomorrow we die, and that's it. If there is no God, nothing matters. If there is a God, nothing else matters. Amen. Nothing else matters. If there is a God, nothing else matters. I don't care what you did today. It's only the spiritual stuff you did that had any eternal importance. Honestly. We need to have that kind of mind to sort out all of the things that we think are important. Oh, there's things that are urgent, but they're not more important. If there is a God, nothing else matters. Period. So stop trying to live life as this, oh, we got to have some balance between the fleshly and the spiritual. And I'm having a real hard time, hard time getting that spiritual up where it needs to be. My friends, it needs to be everything. It needs to be total commitment. It needs to be everything. And that's what we've got to get at in our lives. We've got to get that knowledge. It's absolutely vitally important, eternally important. We're hoping to cram just before judgment. It ain't going to work. That's not the way it works. You know, I like these pictures that I look out every now and then of people reading their Bible. The story behind this one is that this person right here, these two people don't read, and this person is reading to them. First time they've read, heard from the Word of God, read to him, and he's being fascinated by it. You know, I just talked to Keith Thompson two days ago about going to Dar Salaam, and he talks about how nasty Dar Salaam is. It's a big city in Tanzania. If you look at it, it's on the western coast of Africa, and he just got back, and he said, oh, they trudged through that city, and it was muggy, and it was trashy, you know. And you'd go, he said, we, we showed up at this place, and there were 18 people there, and all they wanted to do was just hear the word of God. They just wanted to hear the Bible. And they read it, and people just were rejoicing at hearing the word of God in Dar Salaam. My friends, we have no idea what it would be like to be without our Bibles, but we've got a lot of copies laying around. And we think just because we purchased the word of God that it's part of our lives. I don't care how many Bibles you own. If it doesn't change the way you think and the way you live, hand it in. We've got somebody else that can use it. Having a Bible isn't the point. Having the Bible change us is what its purpose is all about. So get at reading it. Get at understanding it. Take it to school with you. If they kick you out, I'll tell you what's more important. Reading the Bible. That's what's most important that we've got to get it back into our lives. Well, some people want salvation without sacrifice. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Whoa, what a statement. Can't you make this Christianity a little bit cheaper? If you're trying to sell it, that's not very appealing. <coughs> that's not a good slogan. You want to go to heaven? Pick up a cross and follow me. <laughs> that, just, that just sounds like a hard sales line. My friends, Jesus wants us to make a commitment, and he understands that we might be taking up a cross in order to follow him. That's right. If you lived in Egypt, 
and you realize that like those 21 people the other day, you might lose your actual head because you were going to claim to be a Christian. That could have been you in that picture. Could have been today. Those people died for claiming to be Christians. I don't know if they really were. Don't know if in their lives, if they'd obeyed the Lord or not. I'm, I kind of studied a little bit about the Coptic church. I don't know much about it. But I know one thing. They were ready to die for their faith. They knew what it cost to be a Christian a lot better than sometimes we do. I know that. They understood the commitment it took. We need to take that kind of look at this and realize that if the day comes that we just can't be an ABC Christian, we got to recognize there's more to it than just an easy button. Sometimes it means giving it more, but it doesn't show in our life. We need to take up our cross. We need to deny, deny sinful pleasure. We need to give up pleasure and selfish desires and give ourselves wholly to following God and being ambitious. We need to prize those who put these virtues at the forefront of their life. Not that they may not make a ton of money. You are gonna, you're going to become a, 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 an evangelist in a foreign land instead of going to school and making big bucks. I'm not sure that's a wise decision. Should that come out of our mouths? Yes, that's the supremely wise thing to say. It shows that the priorities are right. And that's what I'm talking about here. We've got to give God ourselves to the service of God, become a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Well, I'm trying to cut this down. I'm trying to make it a little microwave anyway. But anyway, in Luke, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those sown by the wayside, what does it say? Those sown by the, the seed is the word of God. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those having heard the word with a noble and good heart. Keep it and bear fruit with patience or endurance. That's what we want to be. We view ourselves as good ground. The Bible says if we view ourselves with, as good ground, then we need to be bearing fruit with patience. We need to have, show some evidence of that in our hearts and in our lives. But microwave religion is just the opposite. Many in this world want remission without repentance, righteousness without obedience, holiness without self-discipline, growth without diligence, knowledge without study, and salvation without sacrifice. I want you to know that that is totally not part of the Bible's record. It's totally not part of it at all. I've got one last verse I want to, I want to read to you. If you have your Old Testaments, I want you to look at something in 1 Kings chapter 13. In 1 Kings, <clears throat> Jeroboam is a, a guy who built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there, and he went out from there and built Penuel. Verse 25. Now, they've just split in chapter 12. They just split the kingdom of Israel. And notice what he says to them. <clears throat> Verse 28. So the king consulted and made two golden calves 
And he said to the people, here's what he said, verse 28 of 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12, I'm sorry, I said the 13, didn't I? Sorry, chapter 12, verse 28. So the king consulted, made two golden calves, and he said to them, It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And he set one at Bethel and the other at Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. Now, this chapter delineates why he did that. He said, if the people keep going back to Jerusalem, their heart's going to be turned back and I'm going to get fried. I can't keep all these people together. But notice, notice the way he introduced idolatry back into the children of Israel, the ten northern tribes. How did he do it? How did he do it? He said these simple little words. It is too much for you. Don't be a radical Christian. <laughs> That's too much. Give me $3 worth of Jesus and I'll go on my way. You can be that kind of Christian if you want. You can buy your plastic Jesus and sit him on his bobblehead in the back and look at him in your rear mirror if that's what you want. But my friends, I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of plastic Jesuses and $3 worth of Jesus. I think we as the church need to become the church again. We need to become a spiritually minded people that have spiritually minded goal, and we need to put some effort and focus and self-discipline into our lives and tell people it's not easy. It's not easy to be a Christian. It takes everything you've got to be successful at being a Christian. So quit trying to give it the minimum daily requirements and start giving him the maximum of everything that you can. Start giving him as much as you possibly can. And guess what? You're going to find Christianity a lot easier to live when you're fully dedicated. When you make a full commitment, it's going to be easier because you're not going to have to be having to make decisions all day long about which you want to do. Because the devil's always going to be crying, it's too much, it's too much. This Christianity is too much. Lay down, take a nap, take it easy. God doesn't want you to be a fanatic. to tell you tonight you don't want cheap religion you don't want to cheat Jesus you don't want to cheat Christianity if you're going to be a Christian it's going to take everything you got your whole mind heart soul body because Jesus don't sell cheap Christianity the real thing is costly but it's wonderful. If you're not enjoying it, it's perhaps you've not bought the right kind of Christianity. Perhaps you've pushed the button for the easy version. Well, tonight, in your faith, I want you to know this. If there is a God, nothing else matters. This is what pleases him. In your faith, repent of your sins, all of them, Luke 13, 3. Confess the name of Jesus Christ before men, Matthew 10, 32. And in your re repentance and in your confession that you make before men, men that you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you're a fit subject for immersion in water, a picture of the death, 
burial in Je of Jesus Christ and the resurrection to walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 3 through 5. And I'm here to tell you one last point about that. You can't be a Christian if a death doesn't happen. If you're going to be a Christian, you've got to die and be buried and raised with him. And that's a symbol of the change in our life, too. That's a symbol of that change, that commitment to live a new life, to be a new creature in Christ. Tonight, don't buy the fakes. Don't buy the knockoffs. Buy the genuine thing. But in order to buy the genuine thing, you've got to die. You've got to repent, confess, be buried baptism, and raised to walk in newness of life. But you'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. Buy the real thing. Don't just look for the cheap microwave religion. Look for the religion of a lifetime. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.